I'm, I'm really interested in what would be, the, say, the, the prime or the first motive that you began to, that, that pushed you towards your, your Buddhist faith. Is there a, a crucial moment that, that, that you can look back to that, that, that said you must take this path? Yeah, yeah, it was when I, um, obviously I, I immigrated to Australia in 74 and then I was moving around and uh, I settled down in Sydney but I was a bit lonely, didn't have any friends and I started to read I've always been a reader anyway. <laughs> I've always gone to libraries, so I started to go to the library. There's got, got libraries there in Australia. So I started to go to the library, and then I got interested in the, um, more in, well, like a, a spiritual aspect of life, because I didn't have that. My life was just a very material, lonely sort of life. I'm not a great befriender of people. And um, I was living pretty much by myself in this rather strange country. <laughs> um, and so I started going to the library and then I, I started to, to find books, that not, not just, but more on the spiritual level, I guess, looking for something a bit deeper in myself. You know, who am I, what am I, what am I doing? Uh, what am I supposed to be looking for? And I found one or two. I found um, Von Danikin. If you've ever heard Von Danikin, oh, he's got some he's got some stuff on the YouTube actually. But it's it's all about we we come from spacemen. We come from all out. We all come from outer space. And uh, it's and it's all this sort of stuff. Uh, it's not really what I'd call religious or religion. No, it's not really very spiritual. I can say it. But it's, um, and I found it, I read a couple of books and then I thought, I don't, I'm not really looking for this. This is, because uh, it's the sort of thing you either believe it or you don't. And it, it doesn't seem to do much for you anyway. It's not like a spiritual sort of teaching, which was because I was looking something more than just something to believe in or looking for something I could really investigate, really, within myself. Because, uh, because of my sort of shortcomings. And then uh, one day I went in there, into the library, and I was going through looking, the, looking in the books, and I come to the 200s. The 200s were the re religions. And I was just going through them, and then there was, there was one Buddhist book. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll read this. I'll have a read of this, Buddhism. See what that's about. And uh, so I read that, and then by the time I got to the end of the book, I thought, I want to look at this. This is really, this is really interesting, because it was it was answering questions that I'd been been carrying around in my little noddle for quite a long time, uh, and it it had it had answers that that uh, a reasonably intelligent person could uh, contemplate. So I decided to try to find some, some, some more books on Buddhism if I could. It took a while, but yes, I did gradually find a few. 
uh, found some books on meditation, so I did some meditation from the books. Had the beginner's mind, so I got some results. Once the beginner's mind went, the results <laughs> got a bit less, but still, I, I did get some results. So that encouraged me to keep looking. And then I saw an advertisement for a 10-day meditation retreat. I went on that. Again, I had the beginner's mind, so I got some very good results on that. It was a very good teacher. And it was a, t- it was a 10-day, it was a, and it was a really good retreat. And I got some, as I say, I got some good results from that, that which encouraged me to, to seek more. Uh, and so it just went on from there, really. I found books to read. I found meditation retreats to go on, and then I got I went on a, a meditation retreat that was run by a a, a a Buddhist monk. He was English, English Buddhist monk, which wasn't so good in the teachings. But he was he was actually building a monastery in uh, New South Wales, a few hours north of Sydney three or four hours north of Sydney, in a very nice forested area. So I went to help him, got introduced then to other people, and I learnt teachings from him. Uh, and it just went on from there, really. From there I got in touch with more and more people. Until I eventually... Um, I decided uh, that if I could find a way to do it, I would, wouldn't mind becoming a monk. Or going and actually living in a monastery to see, you know, to do more practice. And, and eventually that's what I did. I was fortunate to make the merit of helping to build two monasteries, three monasteries, one in Perth, one in, in Western Australia, one in New South Wales, and one in. Um, New Zealand. So that's, and then the opportunity came later on to ordain. So I took that. Yes. Um, Hello. You talked about karma. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm interested in is, honestly, you get a lot of, you know, politicians and people like that who push to war. Say, for example, somebody like Donald Trump, for example, if he decided to, you know, to go to war, to send his troops out to somewhere. Now, he actually hasn't killed anybody, but he's sent people and then they've killed someone, the soldiers. And, and maybe, would they, well, who would get the karma of that? soldier or, or the politician or both well both really uh, but it depends remember karma is intention right so uh, if if he felt that um to protect his country which is what america isn't it to protect to protect america where there's 300 million people living uh, and to protect the interests of america so he would go to war to do that, it's not a total selfish act. He's doing it because, A, basically it's, it's his job. 
and then B, he would be, be protecting the country that is the home of you know, 300 million people. Uh, and also, like the men that go into the army, I was in the army, I was a soldier for 10 years, not nine years. But, but I did that on purpose. I, I, I was a volunteer or conscript, whatever you want to call them. Um, so I knew that there was a chance, although we wasn't at war then, we wasn't in Vietnam. The Americans was in Vietnam, we wasn't, so we didn't have to go there. But I recognised, well, there might be a time when I've got to go to war. There might be a time when I've got to go where it is very dangerous. But I was willing to do that. I took the payment of the government, while well, I didn't have to do that. And then if, if I'd have had to do it, then I would have done it quite, quite, um, quite happily. I would have done that. So, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have necessarily have done it because I wanted to kill. I would have done it because that was my job. And, and if there's a danger to England, I'm willing to that, you know, play that role as part of my job. Um, so it depends on, on the intention that, uh, that a person does. And if a person takes on that role and accepts the role uh, with a good heart and in a proper way, doesn't purposely, say, cause war for the sake of wanting to kill or to destroy, um, and, and when, even when they go to war, they go to war even a war, we have a war, there are certain, uh, there are certain things we can do and should not do, right? We shouldn't torture, we shouldn't kill, or do in, insert when, it, when, it's, when it's not necessary. Yes, we know in a war people die, but still, um, cruel acts, inhuman acts, which are done as well, unfortunately, but don't really, are not necessary to do, uh, then anyone who does those can expect a bad result from that. Um, when we kill, yes, there is a result from that. Depending, because we're individuals, it depends is, is what is in your mind, in your heart, when you do the act of killing. Uh, to, because karma is individual. Now you might have a group of people, their karma is very similar. And that's because in the situation they're in, they're, they're thinking similar and they're acting similarly. So the result of it is similar for all of them. Um, but if you, if you weigh, that, weigh the odds, um, and then you decide, you make a decision, uh, and then when you act, as you act, you act as skillfully and as, uh, say, as kindly as you can, uh, then yes, there is a result, and there's a result of the killing, but it, it w the result is less if you act in that way than if you go in and intentionally just kill as many people as you can because you enjoy killing, or because you like seeing people die. <laughs> if you go with that intention, then yes, the, your, the, result, your, the result will be different. So it, each person, this, way, this is why we have to keep looking at ourselves and judging our own actions because we're going to get the result of it. Okay, thanks.
<coughs> you introduced at the beginning the idea of, of social class. Um, and I just wonder what your thoughts are on why it appears that Buddhism, at least in the, in the West, appears more widely to the middle classes. Well, because, because in, especially in the West, it's really been introduced as, as on an intellectual level. There's a lot of teaching, there's a lot of books. It's studied in the library. The people that actually brought it to the West, really, uh, I can't remember his, but he was a, a British uh, man who was in the colonial service in um, Sri Lanka. He came, Rice Davis, his name was. He, he, was in the, he was in the colonial service, and he came across Buddhism and got interested in it. So he decided to translate all the teachings into English. He wanted to translate the, 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 the language of Pali, the, the, the old language in which the, uh, the teachings are written down is in this old uh, Indian language of Pali. It's, it's, it's a dead language now, it's not used. But, um, but, but, um, so he had to learn Pali and then, and then he started up the uh, translation society the Buddhist Translation Society, translating all the scriptures. And, and th that was done at Oxford, Oxford University. So there the, you've got the Oxford uh, Translation, Pali, Pali Script Society. So they translated all the books. So the people that looked at all those books, of course, are academics, people in the academic sphere. So Buddhism was really introduced into the West before... Achin Chah came along from an intellectual level and it, and it would have been understood first by intellectuals, people who were at Oxford or who had studied. Because ordinary people never came, came across those things at first because they weren't out in the general public. They weren't out in the bookshops. They were in the, the Pali Tech Society, which is at Oxford. So, that, so the, the person that bought brought the teachings, the actual teachings in, in their completeness to the West was, was this man called Rice Davis and he, he, and he developed the print and the printing of them was in Oxford University. So it tended to be uh, an inter, uh, the um, middle class intellectuals who saw that, the ordinary. It wasn't until uh, s some individual men and women started to go, say, to Burma or, and eventually some went to Thai, Thailand and met Ajahn Chah, uh, but they were, they were mostly intellectuals. <laughs> Most of them went when they'd either finished their university studies or they were having a break from them. So they went to Thailand, not necessarily for Buddhism. Thailand does have other pleasures and attractions, uh, but they went there anyway. And when they got there, they, they saw the monks going through the streets, they saw the temples, uh, and they got interested and began to went and visit some of the temples and gradually they found out you know, that there were teachers around and they, they met other Westerners as well who had already gone there. Uh, and then uh, some of them went to, and they met this, this teacher, Ajahn Chah, and then they decided to ordain with him as monks, much to their parents' Distress, I should imagine. <laughs> some of them had finished their, their uh, had finished their studies, and some of them hadn't. So some of them had to go back and sort all that. Either finish their studies and then go back to Thailand, or 
finished their studies and went back to Thailand. Uh, and then after he trained them for a few years, he created a Western monastery in Thailand, and it was called the International Monastery, which is not very far from his own monastery, which was for the Westerners who had come to live with him, because he couldn't speak any English. They had to learn Thai over time. And where they could get a training where, uh, where also many Westerners at that time were visiting Thailand, because it was a nice place to visit, and uh, it was a place that they could go, and they could hear the teachings in English there. That's where they first heard it in English. Uh, and then after some of those monks had been in Thailand for some years, 10 years or so, then he sent some over to England because it was, there was a request for, from some English Buddhists for him to send some monks from his place in Thailand to, to London, to, the, to the, the, the... The Buddhist society in London had a, uh, a house in which they were hoping to capture some Buddhist monks and get them to live there and give the teachings. But that hadn't been very successful because the monks that had gone there before were all individuals and it was a very lonely, unsort of monastic uh, environment. There was a big pub opposite that used to play very loud rock music, rock music at the weekends. <laughs> and uh, it was right in, right in London, in Hampstead, <coughs> which was not all that sort of um, conducive for them. Some, they didn't stay. They, they stayed for a while. Some of them disrobed and others went, just went back to, where they, back to Burma or back to Thailand again. But what Achin Chah did, he sent four monks over together to go over to that place. And he went over himself at first, when they first went, to encourage them. <coughs> uh, and so they stayed because they, they weren't alone, they weren't by themselves. Uh, but it wasn't all that good, and eventually they sold the place in Hampstead, and they got a, quite an old, wasn't derelict house, but it was an old, big old mansion house that hadn't been looked after properly. As if someone was living in it, the rather an eccentric family were living in it. And they persuaded them to sell it, and it was out in, uh, out in Sussex, West Sussex. And they, eventually they, they, they bought that and then they worked on it and turned that into that. That was the first, their first monastery in Britain. So many people were interested to become monks and nuns or just to come and hear the teachings uh, that they eventually, after a few years, they needed a big place to put, you know, for people to be able to come to and stay. And that was why they bought this place, because it's a big place. So, although the first people really in Britain, I would imagine, to, to have come across Buddhism would have been the intellectuals in the um, universities, especially in Oxford. Uh, but once the more practical aspects of the actual teaching, the practice, started to become known through Achin Chah, um, and his monks had come back to England and were teaching a very practical type of Buddhism, and allowing people to ordain as monks and nuns if they wished, uh, then it, that changed it a lot, and uh, the Buddhist practice became known more, and, and that is what has become very popular in England 
for, for people. Otherwise, if it's just study, it's okay because there's a, lot, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good information. But Buddhism is, is a practice. It's a life. It's life. It's about life. It's about what we are, what we can become. And the fact that we can, we can guide what we can become. <laughs> it's not just a chance. And so it's, it's an intelligent, it's an intelligent teaching uh, for intelligent people using their own life as their focus, as their practice. And so anyone who's willing to put the effort to learn it can, can learn it and then can practice. It's not a faith. Faith is part of it, sattā is part of it, but faith is part of anything, really. It's part of education. If you, if you want to get an education, you have to have faith that what you're reading is going to, is going to give you what you want. <coughs> Otherwise, there's no point in reading it. It might just be a lot of things that you read but don't do you any good. So you have to have faith, but it's not just a faith. It's a, it's a practice. It, it's, it's a lifestyle because what you're, what you're practicing on, what you're observing as you practice is yourself. Each person practices on themselves, but we do it in company with others. So because of the, because of loving kindness and this um, aspect of um, community, which it does have, um, when, you, when you practice, what, what happens is, although you're practicing on your own life, uh, it gives you uh, a way of looking at others, other people around you. Because if you want to develop loving kindness, you can develop it on other people, act in ways of acting that you want to act to other people. That's how you develop loving kindness. Yes, you develop loving kindness by being kind to yourself, but then you want to be kind to others. So then it doesn't matter who that is. It could be your enemy. You could, but it's, it's whether you practice it or not, is whether you develop it. So although it, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's something that we do for ourselves, with ourselves, on ourselves, it involves others because the qualities that we want to develop within ourselves comes from sharing with others. Many of the qualities that we can um, develop comes from the way that we act to other human beings in our family, at work, on the street, in the shops, anywhere. So that's, um, that's how its, its popularity has grown, I think is because there is the, all this study, but you don't have to do all that study. Uh, it's, it's especially working people who don't have all that time. If you're an academic, you've got a lot of time to read, fine. But if you haven't got a lot of time to read, then the other aspect, taking on the precepts, developing loving kindness, developing generosity, uh, this is done 
when we live with others because it's how we act to others that develops it for us. Other people become uh, the path of our practice. But our practice is our development. Yeah, I mean, that's really, really important to know. But the thing is, when I have a problem with that some people at work who, when I first started the job, they were pretty horrible to me. For I don't know why. So I decided to not hold it against them. So any sort of in my mind, I'm not thinking negative about them. So I've let, him, let that go. But I'm friendly to them, like I'm civil. I'll say hello in the morning. But there's a barrier gone up. I discerned not to get to know them. And in a way, I'm not, I feel like I maybe should have forgiven them a bit, maybe because they have tried to sort of put a peace offering a little bit. But I'm just a bit wary, and I've just sort of put a barrier up. So I, I don't feel like I'm being unkind, but I'm not giving of them of myself, because I, I try to be kind, and I try to be nice to people and things. But there's a barrier gone up and I just don't feel I can let it go. Do you think that I'm, it's fear, or do you think it's being sensible, or do you think, should, what should we do in those sort of situations, from well, the Buddhist point of, of view? One of the qualities uh, that is promoted very much in Buddhism is wisdom. Wis wisdom is when we look, when we live, we function, we function with others, uh, but then we see what our limitations are. Gradually, we can develop qualities that, that can push us beyond our limitations, if we want to. We can do that, because as human beings we can. And then we find skillful means and skillful way of doing that. Um, but if we feel that uh, by trying to they relate to others uh, in a way that, that brings us a lot of discomfort and in a way that is not really received from by them, uh, then we use our, our own wisdom <coughs> and to say, okay, well, I can give so much there and it will be received, that's fine, I'll give that. But there's no point in trying to give something that's not going to be received. So I, I, with those people, I had, there's a limit. But with these people over here, I can give fully, and they, they receive it, and then they give to me. So with them, you can just give everything, and then you develop. As you, as your, as your, say, your loving kindness, or your generosity, whatever, develops, then you might find with these other people, yes, actually, that's getting through. That's getting through now. Whereas before, they, they, they rebuffed or they didn't want to know. Now, they listen. Because you, you've developed the qualities that you want to use to get through to them. You've developed that, actually. So as you develop that, it will be received by more people. So then you can go back to those people and try, see what happens. And then if, again, if they don't receive it, just leave it. And, but, but keep practicing with other people. 
and see, see if ever a time comes when they are, they are open enough and your, your loving kindness is strong enough. Thank, thanks for that. Because you don't have to push yourself onto anyone because <laughs> uh, that can be very frustrating and also it can be disillusioning. Uh, so uh, wisdom is knowing where our limits are Perhaps trying to push the boundary a little bit, but knowing when, okay, that's, that's it, this is where I stop, here. And then practicing, as best you can, developing, de developing the qualities that the Buddha talks about, bit by bit, and then you'll reach out to more people. You, could be a, you can't be a saint, saint straight away, it, it, it takes a few months. <laughs> Oh, years. <laughs> so wisdom is a very um, important quality in Buddhism. Uh, the Buddha was known as the wise one. He was a wise man. The first teachers that he went to after he went off into the forest were meditation teachers. So he, he practiced meditation under these very good meditation teachers. And he did very well in his meditation. He could go all up into the lovely realms and stay up there for long periods of time, which is what they did. But what he found is when he came out of the, those beautiful realms, came back down to earth, then his lust would arise again, or anger would arise again. And after he experienced that, eventually he said, this is, not, this is not the way for me. This is not the way for me. If they want to do this, that's up to them. Because he saw that going off into these heady spaces was wonderful while you was in them, but when you come down to planet Earth, then these very earthy aspects of our being arose again in him. So he left those teachers, even though they had a lot of disciples and they were good teachers. He had respect for them. He left those teachers and carried on his journey until he found, found it for himself. So he didn't, he didn't just stay with them because they were called teachers and he didn't stay with them just because they could do meditation. He didn't stay with them because he knew that the path he was looking for, what he was looking for, was not what they had. So he, 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 de he depended upon himself. He relied upon himself and saw, sought somewhere else. Any other questions? There's a nice story where, um, at, at the moment, we're in this time called the Wassa. The word Wassa is the same, is the same word as, as the German word, Wassa. <laughs> it means water. It's the ra rainy, in, in India, it's the rainy season when it, when it rains a lot and all the paddy fields get full, filled with water. And uh, during that time, the Buddha told his, his, um, his disciples 
to stay in one place, find a place where they could live or hut, make a little hut or a cave or anywhere where they could live and to keep, keep still and to keep uh, just staying in that place. Go out on their arms round in the morning but go back to that place and not to wander about because the lay, the lay people complained about the monks when they wandered about because they said they were treading on all the little creatures that were out in the rain and also that sometimes they would walk across the paddy and they would break down the paddy in the fields, the rice. So they complained to the Buddha and the Buddha said, well look, don't, don't move about in this time, just get yourself somewhere to stay and stay there, Do your, get on with your meditation, go out on your arms around in the morning but other than that, stay in your place. Because he said, and then he's, but then there was a group of monks who, and, that, and that's what this time, at the moment, we're at, we do at this time now. In England, because of the, it's a different climate, um, because it's, it's a nice summertime at the moment, we tend to actually do the retreat time, uh, the three months retreat time of this, of this Wasa period, we actually do it in the winter. So you come here in the winter and we're all sort of on retreat for the three months. Whereas if you're in Thailand or Asia at the moment, all the monks are, are doing this retreat time, what we call the wasa, the rainy season retreat. And there's a nice story where the, these uh, three monks, uh, this group of monks, sorry, there was a group of monks who went out at the beginning of the wasa time, just before the wasa time started, and they went to a very nice forest area, it was a beautiful forested area, where they were going to keep, keep the rainy season's retreat, the three months of the retreat in this place, in this forested area. There was a village nearby where they could go for their arms round. There was a group of them. And they went to this forest and they started making little huts for themselves. And it says in the story that the forest, this area of the forest where they were, was haunted. And so at night, when they would go down or would want to go to, to, to sleep, all these, they, they would hear all these noises and screams and uh, movements. And it, it frightened them because they thought the ghosts were coming to get them. They, got, they stayed there for a while, but they got quite frightened, actually, because there was all this movement at night, uh, or what, that, what they felt it was. So they didn't quite know what to do, because it was a nice area of forest, and they actually wanted to stay there. But they were frightened. They were too frightened to stay there. So one of the, one of the monks said, well, the Buddha's spending this period, this Wasa period, at this certain place, which was... It was well away from where they were, but they could walk there. So they decided to go to see the Buddha and tell him about this problem <laughs> that they had of wanting to stay in this forest, but being frightened to stay there because of all this movement and uh, eeriness, eerie sort of things that were happening there to see what he would tell them what to do, if he could tell them how to, what to do about it. So they went to see him, 
And he uh, talked to them, had a chat with them, probably gave them a discourse, which he usually did when people come to see him. <laughs> and then he, he taught them the Metta Sutta. A Metta means like loving kindness. He, he taught them this Sutta on loving kindness. And you'll find it in our chanting book, at the back of our, at the back of, of our chanting book. We do, we do it quite a lot. It's a very popular little, little chant now that we do. It tells, it tells you how to develop loving kindness. So he taught them this, and he said, right, you go back to, your for, to the forest where you, where you want to sit up for the wasa time, and on your way back, he says, split, there was quite a large group of them, he says, split yourself into three groups, and as you walk back, con continually chant the meta, this metta sutta, continually keep, keep the chanting going, until you get back to the forest. He says, as you go, one group do the chanting for a while as you walk, and then they stop, and then the other group do the, keep the chant going, then they stop, then the other group keeps it going, then the first group again. So they did that all the way back to the forest. So there was always a group of them chanting this Metta Sutta. And then when they got back to the forest, like he said, they walked, they walked around the forest three times, all chanting the Metta Sutta. So then, like, like, like he told them to do, then they went back into the forest where they were, and they carried on making their, their, um, their little huts and places that they were making so that they could stay there for the three months of the, um, the wasa. And then they settled down and they stayed there. And they didn't have any trouble. No trouble at all. They felt completely safe that night. They didn't have any things coming and frightening them at all. So at the end of the, of the three months, they went back to the Buddha and they told him. Uh, and he, he said, oh, that's good that you had a good, you had a good three months with good meditation. So what was the difference when they, when they were there first? They just went there to set up their places, but then they, they, they experienced all this fear. And they all became afraid, so they had to go and see the Buddha. And the Buddha just taught them this Metta Sutta. Like the, um, the, presumably the spirits were there, or the ghosts were there, if there was ghosts, that frightened them. What was the difference? Well, the difference was that all, all the way back to that place, which was a fair journey back, uh, they were chanting the Metta Sutta. And then when they got back, they chanted the Metta Sutta as they walked, all walked around and they chanted the Metta Sutta. And the Buddha told them to, to during the Wasa period, to chant this Metta Sutta frequently. And the difference was in themselves. The chanting of the Metta Sutta and doing Metta, Metta meditation as they did, changed them. And as, as the Metta, the loving kindness, developed in them through their meditation and through their chanting, they become, they're, they're, they become very still and 
non-afraid. They didn't have any fear. Their fear left them. So whether they heard any ghostly noises or not, or whether they, whether they didn't, it doesn't really say. But it says that after learning the Metta Sutta and ch chanting it regularly, so that it become very much part of their being, they were able to stay in that place that before they were afraid to stay in. The only difference in the scenario was in the monks. The forest was the same, and if there were ghosts there, the ghosts would have been the same. The only thing that had changed was the monks, was their development of, development of loving-kindness through the, the three months of the wasa and through their development of meditation. Because if your heart is at peace and you have a, a, a sense of kindness towards others, you feel at peace. But when we, when we are antagonistic towards others, when we're easily you know, aroused to anger, or when we have easily uh, aroused dislike for people, when they do things that goes against what we like or what we believe in, the heart is different. The peace for peace comes from what we develop in us. And this is what the Buddha's teachings are all about, is developing the qualities in ourself. Not waiting for anyone else to change, but using our wisdom and then developing the qualities in ourself. So the practice is always in ourself, on ourself. And when, when other people are able to receive our kindness, uh, our generosity or whatever, then we can offer it. And as long as people receive, receive it, willing to receive it, we can offer it. If someone doesn't want to receive it, well, that, that's up to them. So the practice that we do is helpful to others and good to others, but it's us that it changes. What we develop, we develop in ourselves. So it's us that changes. And when we change, because we have developed these wholesome qualities, then the world changes. Because our view of the world changes. When a person is always antagonistic and uh, always tends towards enmity, selfishness, anger, that's not a happy life and that's not a happy person. No matter what, whatever people say or, or give to them, they still can't be happy. If that person wants to be happy, then they have to develop those qualities that make us happy within themselves. And no one can do that for them. 
The Buddha told, told those monks to practice the Metta Sutta, but if they didn't do it, if they went back and said, oh, look, I'm not going to chant this all the way back to there. It's too much bother. And, they, and they'd had all gone back to the forest and they hadn't bothered to chant it. When they got back to the forest, it would have been the same as if they hadn't left. They would have been frightened of the ghost. But the qualities that they developed within themselves through chanting and then through practicing, through meditation, changed them. And it changed them from within. We can only change from within if we practice. And so the Buddhas give us, give us the precepts to do, to practice in our life, give us the qualities of metta, generosity, patience, these sort of qualities that we can all develop as human beings. We're all human beings and we can develop all the qualities that the Buddha gave us. But it only works if we develop it. Because we can't rely on other people always being nice to us. Some people, you can't rely on them ever being nice to you. But it doesn't matter. If your heart is right, it doesn't matter. What they do is their business. What's inside you, they can't touch. So the Buddha's teachings is always, we practice on ourselves because we're all the same, we're all human beings. We practice on ourselves, then what we have inside we can give out to others. Whether they reciprocate, doesn't matter. That's just their business. And your business is what, your business is what you've developed. What they haven't developed is not your business. And because we're not fixed, we're not just one thing, we are able to change. And we're able to change uh, in, in, for whatever quality or in whatever direction we want to. No one can make us and no one can do it for us. So the five precepts, the development of loving kindness, the development of generosity, patience, these are all basic human qualities. But these are the qualities that we can develop easily. So that's enough for today. I'll have to pay you overtime. <laughs>